0: We uh, turn our attention now to uh, the Word of God. We are in Revelation chapter 21. But before I uh, read that passage, I just want to ask you a couple things. First, did you have a good Christmas? It was a good Christmas? Yeah? How many of you got for a Christmas present a flooded basement? Anybody? See? And we're reminded. That even in the midst of celebrating, you know, we're supposed to be joyful and happy as Christians during the Christmas season, and, and yet life has this way of intruding. And, and if you feel like you're in this contradiction this Christmas, as you're struggling with something like a flooded ba- basement, or maybe something even more serious, to not be thinking, oh, you know, I should be happy. Look, it's because of the darkness of this world that Jesus came into the world, That you had the flooded basement or some other kind of flooding in your life is a reminder of how much we need Jesus to have come into this world to bring light into our darkness. We didn't celebrate just Christmas. We celebrated uh, New Year's and um, this New Year's I was, uh, my mind went back to a a New Year's Eve about 16 years ago, uh, 1999. How many people can remember that far back? Yeah, some of you weren't even born then, I know that. And uh, I remember, I I, I was living on the East Coast at the time, and Mary and I were were getting ready, we didn't have any children, she was pregnant with our first child uh, at at this time, and uh, we're we're watching the celebrations in New York City, and waiting for the ball to drop, and one of my favorite artists, uh, musical artists named Sting, was getting ready to perform. Y'all know who Sting is? People remember? Okay you know the the, the police's album uh, ghost machine was the first album i ever bought I man i'm i'm just a huge police fan and fan of sting i was really excited sting was going to sing from his from his new song it was 1999 and in the back of my you know my wife and i have this this is a personal note uh first kiss we ever shared was uh, was uh, new year's eve and so every new year's eve we would try to make sure we get a get a kiss in right right at midnight, and, and we're, we're sort of getting ready for all that, and uh, Sting's getting get on stage, and in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, I wonder if the lights are going to go out, because remember, it was 1999, you know, Y2K, <laughs> and the clock strikes midnight, and the lights didn't go out, and Sting plays the song, Brand New Day, it was great, I love that song, it's so, it's so hopeful, it's so bright, I'm going to share some of the words of that song with you. Uh, It starts out, how many of you people out there been hurt in some kind of love affair? And how many times did you swear that you'd never love again? How many lonely, sleepless nights? How many lies? How many fights? And why would you want to put yourself through all of that again? We know that feeling, right? Oh, man, love is so awesome. Relationships are great. And man, they can be awful and hard and difficult and painful why would you want to hope for something good? You know, why would we want to put ourselves through all that again? But then the song continues on and he contemplates the past relationship and he's paging through an old photo album and he sees a picture when he was together with this woman that he had loved in good times and he thinks, maybe I'm thinking of this all wrong. And there's a turn in the song and, and, and the chorus goes like this. Why don't we turn the clock to zero, honey? I'll sell the stock, we'll spend all the money. We're starting up a brand new day turn the clock all the way back. I wonder if she'll take me back. I'm thinking in a brand new way. It's one of the things I love about Sting, <clears throat> despite the fact that he's an atheist. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's so steeped in his English Christian tradition that you see it again and again in his songs, this hope for redemption, that things aren't right, things are broken, and, and, and longing for something better, and and hoping that not only can we get back what we lost, but but that maybe it might even be better than we had it in the first place. And isn't that what New Year's, new Year's is all about? New beginnings, hopeful hopeful beginnings, um, looking to the new year and thinking, this is gonna be different. This, this year is going to be uh, different. Now, and what promises did you make to yourself this, uh, this New Year's? What promises did you make to uh, your family and to your wife? And if you're like me, maybe you also thought, What makes me think this year is going to be different than last year when I didn't do the things I said I was going to do? (laughs) Promise of a better year. Why is it going to be any different? Why should we be hopeful? Let's turn to the word of God and maybe we're going to hear something there that will tell us why this year could be different. Revelation chapter 21 beginning in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is a vision of the throne of God in heaven. And a voice comes from it saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain For the old order of things is passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to this passage this morning, we pray that your spirit will be at work in us, showing us what it is that you're trying to tell us and teach us. Just as your spirit has been with us during times of singing and, 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 and through the installation of officers, be with us now. And we pray, Lord, that we might submit to this word you have for us, that we might be changed. Lord, by your spirit, make us more like Jesus in this very hour. Would, would, would we be encouraged by the message of your grace and inspired to live in a brand new way? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's that great great pronouncement i am making all things new this is this is one of my favorite passages if not my favorite passage in all of scripture because in this one sentence really we see summed up the good news the the gospel of jesus christ first that there's a work to be done and that work is to Put right the mess that we've made of this world and, and the mess we've made of our own lives. There is a work to be done, but that work is to be done not by me, not by us, but by Jesus Himself. And He is going to make everything new. There's work, but, but, but there's, there's, there's this hope that, that things are going to be different. And, and in that hope, there's also this promise, the certainty. That good things are going to come from God's work. work. Maybe we don't know the details of it all. But we know the end. And so we can live in hope. Not live in regret. Constantly going back to the things we've done wrong and saying there's, there's no remedy for it because there is. And not living in denial. Because we need to face up to the truth. Things are a wreck. But we can do it because we have hope. That God is going to work in the broken places. So let's talk about that hope that we have in Christ. Now, I'm not sure I need to explain our need for hope. Do I, do I need to explain the need that we have for hope in this life? Do y'all need hope? Hmm? Well, maybe I do need to remind you. The world is a mess. St. Louis is a mess. Sometimes we turn a blind eye to it. Sometimes we don't acknowledge it. You know, it wasn't really until Thursday morning that I realized St. Louis is underwater. 1993, when I was in seminary, you know, the valley, Chesterfield Valley flooded. I was very aware of that. I was, wow, I'm driving out to 64 seated underwater. That was amazing. I live, I still live out in Chesterfield now. Man, the valley's great. Everything's fine out there. So everything's fine, right? No. 70 was underwater. 44 was underwater. 55 was underwater. Every highway but the place I was living was underwater. Things are broken. Things are a mess. You can look at the news. There's even uh, more tragic things. And even I, this past week, uh, I was on vacation, but I am the pastor on call. And I can tell you, I got lots of calls. There were families in this church that were experiencing tragedy over the Christmas and New Year's holiday. We need hope. Most of us are currently dealing with something that we, we really have no reasonable hope of being resolved. There's a conflict at work. There's something going on in our marriage, a difficulty, a strong-willed child that we're dealing with. Maybe that child is four years old. Maybe that child is 14. Maybe that child is 24, and there's still that strong-willed child. and We don't have any reasonable hope that things are going to get better. A, a mental illness that a loved one has been diagnosed with maybe a terminal diagnosis. I'm going to say to you now what you'll hear me say again and again over the years to come. Even an ordinary life needs extraordinary hope. We need hope. Let me give you a small example of how even good things in this world turn to moments of desperation. Okay, uh, how many parents, how many people here are parents of children that are in elementary school or in high school? All right. Okay, there's some here. How many people gave a video game as a gift? Okay, our, our, it, was, it was big news in our family. We pulled it off on our pulled it over our kids. We got the Xbox. We totally had them deceived. As the thing, we're not getting that. No, we're not getting that. And surprised them, and we gave them some video games. Now maybe your experience is like mine. You know, you give a video game, and there's this joy. Oh, this is exciting! This is so wonderful! I've been hoping we were going to get this. And then the kids put the video game in, and the, for the first ten minutes, it is just, just, just rapturous joy. They're totally enthralled. They're totally into it. And you look to your wife or your husband, you say, "Yeah, we did good, huh? It's a good, good gift." And then the child comes across the first hard hurdle in the game. And you see the frustration. Oh, I think I killed. Okay, well, we get a new life, so I'll get back and I'll go back at it again. And they fight and they get maybe get a little bit better. And then they get, and they get slapped down again. It's getting frustrating. And they go back to it again. They lose again. And they lose again. And finally, there's this eruption of, of just yelling, this is too hard. Why did they make the game this way? We can't do this. It can't be done. You can't beat this thing. And there's this weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> And then you look at your spouse and go, this was, this was not the good idea that I thought it was. <laughs> Why is there such frustration? Why is there such desperation? Because there's no hope of ever, ever getting past this, of overcoming this, this hurdle, this challenge. That's just a video game. But we can relate. Because how many times do we come across things and we think, uh, yeah, this can't be done. There's no fixing this. And we despair, and what does God say He says, i'm making all things new, and the old order of frustration, pain, death that's going to pass away. God is intervening, not because you're worthy, but because he is loving. Not because you earned it, but because he is gracious. And grace opens up possibilities. We sang it just before. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. Be friendly. What are the possibilities? With God, all things are possible. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that God promises promises to fix your particular circumstance uh, in, in the immediate future. Maybe, you know, doesn't promise to fix your marriage or, or, or to straighten out your, your wayward kid or, or to give you the promotion, whatever it is. We don't know the details of all of what good things God has for us, but he is giving us this hopeful direction and the possibility of amazing things happening in those broken places. So I wanna ask you this question, What do you dare hope for in 2016? This isn't a resolution. That's about your effort. But what hope do you have for how God might work in your family, in in your personal life, in your church, in your community? And you see the scale on which God is thinking. He's working on this gigantic cosmic scale. Now, you can think on a smaller scale, a more personal scale. You're hoping to get into a particular college uh, great, you know, hope for that, pray for that. Um, uh, something in your, in your career, uh, a development, maybe even romance. That's fine to be hopeful for, for those things. But don't think just on those small scales. Think on the big scale. Think about our church. What, what is our church hoping for this year? Or you might say, well, we're hoping to pay down debt. And that's good, and we should be doing that. And hopefully the Lord will move you to, to help do that. But let's think bigger than that. Do you dare hope that this church might be used by God to help bring racial reconciliation in the city of St. Louis? Talk about something we consider impossible. Do we dare hope for something like that? That we might be involved with God doing something amazing on that scale? Now, I don't know where God's going to work and sometimes the way I hope he will work in my life or in the ministries I've been involved with, they don't pan out that way. But I can tell you this, that as I follow God in that hope for something amazing to happen in this one place, he sometimes often, really always, leads me to another place where I do see something amazing happen. Where I do see that brand new day beginning to break in on my life right now? Would you hope we might have a taste of that great brand new day in the life of our church this year? There's reason to have hope and to look to the possibilities. But we have more than simply hope. The brand new day, the ultimate destination, is a promise. He says, I am making all things new. He will do it. More than that, he is doing it. There are lots of things in scriptures, in the scriptures that are about wisdom. They're about the normal pattern of life. They're not strictly speaking promises. So for instance, in Proverbs, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he, w- he will not depart from it. That's a proverb. That's wisdom. It's saying this is the normal pattern of life. It's not necessarily a promise that you know, if you do everything right, your kid's going to be great. Okay? Uh, anybody as a parent knows that it's not, it doesn't work that way we do know that there's a general pattern of things. This statement is a promise. He is doing it. He will do it. It's just as certain as the dawn. Now, a New Year's resolution is uh, dependent upon strength of will. And maybe, maybe you don't know me all that well, but I can tell you that my strength of will is iffy at best. How many times have I been in a situation where I say, I, I, gotta do, I have to behave differently here, I need to do better, and I don't follow through? How many times have I been in a period of time with, with my wife where, where we're, we're trying to resolve things and we're just missing each other, we just seem to be talking a different language, we're, 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 we're stressed, we're frustrated with each other, I start to get angry, And then I start to play out conversations. Not everybody's like this, but I do this. I I play out the conversations in my head, what I will say, what she'll say in response, and then I get really angry about something she really didn't say. (laughs) And then I'll have this moment of clarity and say, look, this is ridiculous. This is really easy. I just need to go and... uh, Right now, she's just 10 feet away. I just go to her and tell her how much I really love her. How much... I would be lost without her. That I'm, I want to be on the same team. We are on the same team. And I want to be better at doing that this year. And then I go and walk over to her, and then a child comes zooming into the kitchen past me, and I get distracted, and the moment is gone. And I'm the same old cuss I've been for the past 20 years. I am not reliable. I am faithless, but he's faithful. And so I'm relieved to know that the care of my family and the care of my wife and my children and even the care of my soul rests not on my abilities and my strength of will, but on his strength of will, on his abilities. Because there are things that I face in this life, even if I am being faithful, I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability to address it and to fix it. But he does. Many of you know, I had a brother who was a pastor here in the St. Louis area. He passed away very suddenly about 12 years ago uh, of a heart attack. I was living in St. Louis at the time and and our families were getting to know each other, my kids getting to know his kids. And my oldest was, was three and a half at the time you know, really young, but old enough to remember. The next Christmas, uh, I believe it was my mom. My mom can verify this. She's sitting over there. Uh, sent us a Christmas ornament. It was a small picture frame. It was a picture of my brother. And we put it on the Christmas tree. And we would do that the years after we got it. And a couple of Christmases later, I, we noticed that the ornament was missing. And we relocated it. It was, it was in Eli's room. Somehow it had found its way into his room. And I thought about this for a little bit, and I mentioned it to my wife. And then one night, as we were going through a bedtime routine, we were praying. We did some reading. We were praying. I decided I was going to ask him about it. He was probably six, maybe seven. I said, Eli, I noticed that you have this Christmas ornament of Uncle Doug. And then he got real quiet. And he asked me a question. He said, Dad, you know that passage where it says that God is going to wipe away every tear? I said, Yeah, I know the passage. Is that true? Yes, it's true. It's a promise. It's a promise of God's grace to us all. And with that promise comes certainty. Perhaps not about the details of our lives, but a promise that a new day will show itself in places as it comes true. And then one day there will be a full-blown brand new day where death and tears are undone. And the world's going to be right And we'll see him face to face. This is the end game of grace. Yes, Jesus came and lived a righteous life, a life we didn't live, couldn't live. And he credits us with that life. And then he offers himself as a sacrifice to pay a penalty that we we dare not pay ourselves. But he does all that, that we might be with God. And undo all the consequences of sin, including death. And then we might be with him in perfect fellowship in paradise. And because of that grace, he tells us, he promises us the end. So grace creates certainty in the Christian, Christian's life. Now we're going to experience all kinds of awful things in a fallen world as we follow the hope of possibilities. But, in the, but the end is certain, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be glorious. And it's not dependent upon our efforts, not dependent upon your strength of will, but dependent upon God's. And so with that certainty comes peace. Can you live in that peace this year? It begins with trusting Christ, taking him out of his word. And then it continues every day by doing the same thing, that this day, not trusting Christ yesterday, but trust him this day for the challenges you face and hope that he's going to bring a brand new day. And that leads us to this this last point, that the grace of of a brand new day should inspire us to perseverance. Another way to put it is it, it should inspire us to work. Some say that Grace inspires mediocrity and complacency. Well, you know, if people's work doesn't matter, you know, of course they're not going to work as hard as they can. They won't accomplish as great of things as they can. You need to create some sense of, of doubt so that people will work harder and harder. I'm like, uh, if your idea of accomplishing something great through anxiety and pressure and thinking that that great thing somehow measures up against God's majesty and glory... And that we can offer that to him as, hey, see, look what I did. You have an overestimation of how good you really are and how great your abilities really are. Grace is the only thing that can truly inspire work that's offered to God freely out of love. You've got to think of it like this. Imagine a room in your house that needs to be painted. How many painters here? Anybody paint? Come on, you, I, people paint their homes, all right? Now, what goes into painting a room? This is where we get interactive. Tell me, what, what do you need to do to paint a room? What are the things that are involved? Oh, that's right, you've got to patch things. You've got to prep the walls. There was Mark here, a child ran into the wall last year, and you left know, this big ding there, and then you've got to sand that down, and then, you know, what else goes into it? Taping. Taping. Okay? And then you got to get your brush and you got to cut in along the edges first. And uh, Somebody said, well, you need to prime wall. Sometimes you have a dark paint and you need to cover that over before you use some other paint. And then you roll. Okay? There's a lot of work involved. It takes, takes a while. Now, imagine in your painting project, you invite your children into that project when they're five <laughs> or they're seven. Okay, What are those children really bringing to that game? You know? Uh, they don't really have the abilities to do all the things you want them to do. What what is it that they really add to to this picture? I'll tell you. The joy that the father or the mother has in being with his children and the joy the children have in being with their father, joining him in the work. And that's what the Lord does with us. He invites us to join him in the work that we might share in his joy. And as we see more clearly the certain future that God has for us, the certain love that he has for us, it inspires us to take up the same work, to join him in that work, the work of love, of loving our community, of loving our family, of loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so we come back to this idea of resolutions, what we promised to do. Now that we've abandoned this idea that we can make ourselves better by sheer force of will, we've, we've abandoned the idea that accomplishments really earn anything with God. Now we can offer our work freely to God, as feeble, as stumbling, as awkward as it might be, knowing that he takes joy in us joining in the work. And that's what matters. Because he can accomplish this work with or without us. That's not why he invites us in. He doesn't need us. So the question for us in 2016 is where will we join in the work? Where will we share in the joy of it? Is it in giving? Because some of you have the ability to give. You don't give because I'm going to help God accomplish his purposes by giving. You give because you're sharing in the joy. Because God doesn't really need your money. Don't tell Tom I said that. <laughs> now Tom would say the same thing. Is it in giving? Is it in decorating? Is it in music? Or is it in making food? Is it in, is it in listening to people in the Stevens ministry as they're going through crisis and, and, and being an emotional anchor for them? And don't tell me you're not good at anything. Even if that were true, so what? Like any of us are really good compared to God in anything that we do. (laughs) You know, it's not about our abilities. We're we're all terrible at everything we do if we compare ourselves to God. We shouldn't be grading on the scale. And he invites you into the work that you might share in his joy. And the work goes forward not because you're talented, by the world's measure, it goes forward in the power of God's Spirit, because only His power can bring about the new day. Hmm? So the question for all of us is, is that what we really believe? Do we really believe the work goes forward in the power of God's Spirit, or does it go forward on the basis of my abilities and my effort? Or are you in need of a brand new way of thinking, like the singer in that song talked about. You want to change? You want a taste of the new you? Then you need to go to Christ. And in the grace he gives you, you will know change and transformation. Not that suddenly you become more disciplined and awesome, but that you become more gracious and loving. And we're able to share in God's joy. He waits for you to join him in the work that you might share in his joy. Would you pray with me that we'd have that kind of wisdom? Father, thanks for the opportunity we have to gather in your name this morning. And we do ask that by your spirit, you would uh, lovingly rebuke us and call us up short in the places where we think that it's up to us. Oh, if that's our hope, we are, we're doomed but remind us of the truth that you are making all things new. And may we experience that and live in the certainty of it and would that inspire us to follow you wherever you lead in hope of seeing something amazing happen. And in that, would we be a blessing to the people around us? And would we honor you? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have now the opportunity to be reminded of the work that Jesus did for us in bringing <laughs> a reminder that things don't go the way you think they should. But we, rem- we have this opportunity to be reminded of what Jesus did for us and what he gave that we might experience a brand new day, that we might experience His grace and His love and His mercy, that we might know peace and joy. If it's your faith, you look to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins for that brand new day to change you. Then He invites you to be renewed in that faith by partaking in the supper. If it's not your faith, I would encourage you not to take the elements and don't be, don't be ashamed or embarrassed by that. We just don't want you professing something with your actions, which wouldn't be true of your heart and mind. But if you don't believe, perhaps now is the moment for you to think, I need to turn to Christ for my hope and for promise that he might change me. Would you pray with me? The Lord would use the supper this way. Father, thank you for this great sign of your love that you gave yourself that we might be redeemed, that we might be reclaimed, and even better than we ever imagined. Father, by your Spirit, use these very ordinary elements to do something extraordinary in us to make us more like Jesus. Do this for our good and for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and giving thanks for it, he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, he took the cup and having blessed it, he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new bond between us in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death, the power of it, the the results of it, the love that inspired it. We proclaim his death to ourselves and to the world until he comes again. Just a few words of instruction. The servers will come and, and serve you both the bread and the cup at the same time. Please hold it until the end. And I proclaim that we can all take it together as one body and then pass your cups to the outer uh, edges of, uh, of the pew. Servers, would you come?